if there's one thing we have learned through the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, you got to put some money in goaltending because the highest paid guys left are goaltenders. Amazing how the defensemen and the forwards just got left behind in all those upsets. So welcome to In Goal Radio, the podcast. Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. And uh, they were talking about uh, all the, the, the top 10 players, the 14 of the top 17 paid players uh, in the National Hockey League were all out by the start of the second round, except for like Andre Vasilevsky and Carey Price and, and some of these guys. It just reaffirms you, you got to put some cash in there in Montreal with, uh, with a depth uh, tandem, Vegas with the depth tandem. Oh, we're, we're rising to the top again, Hutch. Like we are the cream of the crop. This is the time of year you pay your goaltenders for. They yes. make all the difference. And I don't care what happens in the regular season. And I don't care if somebody thinks maybe they can replace a top goaltender at a cheap number. For the most part, the guys who are carrying the uh, carrying the carrying the load here are, are these top end goaltenders. I think it's fantastic to see. And it's a it's a time of year that uh, you know, we can steal a series like nobody else can, can't we? So uh, I love playoff time, boys. Woody, like look at look at the guys that are left. Uh, Boston Tukarask, uh, Vegas uh, has a pair of yeah. Jennings Trophy winners. Uh, you've got uh, in in the North Division a couple of Vesna Trophy winners uh, squaring off against each other. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky, like it, it's a great group of uh, of eight nine guys uh, in in the second round. And just so somebody plays counterpoint here, I'll take a look at a couple of teams that have gone the other way. Carolina with Alex Nedeljkovic, who. Mm-hmm. You know, in goal radio bump. Uh, not not that he didn't earn this before he was on a couple of weeks ago, but uh, rookie of the year finalist for the Calder Trophy announced uh, the day we record this. Um, you know, Colorado. Philip Grubauer is a pretty well established goaltender. You know, solid number one, but making not big money yet, and heading into unrestricted free agency and. Who knows if they even re-sign them, like depending on how far they go. So there are still a couple of teams that are sort of going with the model of let's build a great team as opposed to spending all our money and goal. And that's that's sort of the counterpoint. And the other counterpoint, and you know, we kind of touched on this in an article we had at ingoalmag.com about Carey Price and how good he was in that first round, uh, along with Marc-Andre Fleury, the best goalie in the first round, statistically, when you adjust for, you know, shot quality. The reality is, as good as he's been in these playoffs and last year's playoffs, the regular seasons have been such where, you know, Montreal gets into the playoffs only as a 12 seed last year because of the expanded playoff format. And I think you could fairly argue if it wasn't for the North Division, they would have been in tough to make it in any of, in any of the other three divisions they'd normally be in this year because it wasn't a great regular season for him. Adjusted numbers out of 66 goalies to face 200 plus chances, according to ClearSight Analytics, he was number 60. So it's an interesting conundrum because he has been unreal in the postseason. And this is two years in a row where he's come off a long break. First, the pandemic pause where he didn't even see a shot down in Tri-City, skated, but didn't see any rubber. Comes out, posts a 947, knocks off Pittsburgh. This year, three plus weeks out with a concussion, half a game in the American Hockey League. Boom, knocks out heavily favored Toronto. So the performances in the playoffs are incredible. And everyone's pointing to the $10.5 million cap hit. And you, that's, this is why you pay a guy $10.5 million. 
But in fairness, they've got to figure out a way in Montreal to get more of that in the regular season or there won't be a lot of playoffs for Price in the final five years of this deal. So my counterpoint to your counterpoint is they actually put more money into the goaltending than they have in the past because of Jake Allen. And while the record wasn't sensational, uh, he won way more games than they've ever got out of a backup in the past and they make the playoffs. Yeah, no, and that is a good point because they they tried to sort of cheapen out on that position and mm-hmm. overburden carry for all those years. This was the that's what made this one interesting. This was the first year where they didn't run him into the ground, and yet the performance slipped anyway. So the fact they've got Allen is the reason they're in the playoffs first and foremost, especially when Carey went out late in the season with a concussion. Now the key is finding a balance where you can get Carey the rest that lets him play like this in the playoffs. But find a way to get more out of him in the regular season. Like, because if we're being honest, that it wasn't just that it was subpar by his standards, it was subpar by NHL standards in the regular season. We'll get to uh, Carey Price and uh, what's happening uh, in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs and that great matchup. Uh, but I posted a little piece on Instagram uh, that I needed a new suitcase. I was playing the other day and my right. bag was ripped to shreds. And I got a great response from the hockey shop. Uh, thehockeyshop.com, uh, source for sports, Surrey, uh, from a guy named, um, let me, I'm just, sorry guys, this is really embarrassing, but I got to look up this name. Cam. It was from a guy named Who's Cam? Cam over at the hockey Who's shop. Cam, uh, Cam uh, I don't know, but he said he knows somebody, a really good guy at the hockey shop. Uh, you, you guys familiar with this guy? Somebody Woody shop? does videos with. I can't remember his name though. I have to just yeah, check, out our, check out <laughs> the podcast. Because on YouTube, I think we do all the gear segments over there. So I think if you check okay. it out, I don't know the guy's name, but. But he said he was cool. going to, he's going to help me out uh, with, uh, with a new suitcase nice. uh, for my nice. gear. Uh, oh, for, that's the guy that Siri's always. Yes. Siri. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Woody. Siri is always mad at, right? Yes. So all this time I spend trying to, you know, blow Cam's head up even bigger so it won't fit through doors. <laughs> and you guys just stuck the biggest pin right in there and all the air is coming out of that balloon of I his. hear he's the guy to talk to if you want to customize your gear whether it's you know your newest CCME Flex 5 or this week uh well recently we looked at the Bauer Hyperlite can can you talk to that cam guy if you want to customize your bag Darren can we get like in goal magazine mm, across the side of a bag or or I'm not going to lie to you I found it uh, I got a little uh, sugar rush when I got the reply from Cam uh, and said that he, he he knew a guy like you know when you get the the odd like from somebody uh, famous and somebody that you admire I'm like oh Cam follows me it's really good and 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 it just goes to show you that the hockey shop uh, source for sports story thehockeyshop.com they're paying attention of course they are they're also paying attention to the latest trends in goaltending the latest in equipment and of course you can not only get it from the hockey shop and the hockeyshop.com but you can get all the information that will help you choose the right gear for you and for your game, whether it's Cam or the rest of his staff. They play the position. They eat, live, sleep, breathe the position. They can answer your questions about the position and what equipment is going to help you play it better, whether, like you said, it's the newest from Bauer, CCM, Warrior, Brian's, Vaughn. Uh, they've got it all there. And they're able to tell you how it's going to play, how it's going to fit, how it's going to feel, get you in the right sizes so that you can play your best in goal. It's why we shop at the hockey shop in person, hockey shop source for sports in Surrey on the outskirts of Vancouver, suburbia, or online at thehockeyshop.com. And of course, Darren, 
Custom bags aren't Cam's department, but I've seen Cam. I've actually caught him sleeping in one of the hockey bags one day when I was down there. <laughs> Didn't you zip him up in one? I had to unzip him. He managed to zip himself in there and he was just totally snoozing and we woke him up and got him out. There is a segment uh, that'll help you. I, I, I can't remember how long ago it was, but if you check out on YouTube, we've got a video up on on hockey bags. But also if you're looking for custom team gear, I don't know mm. if a one-off is going to be enough, Darren, but they've got a complete department that does team sales, uh, whether it's embroidery, whether it's jerseys, uh, whether it's custom hoodies. Our in-goal hoodies have been done uh by the hockey shop staff on their team side whether it's getting embroidery done on bags they can take care of that for you whether it's your beer league team your minor hockey league association you name it they take care of it and like everything at the hockey shop they do a great job so make sure you check them out whether it's to bug cam about gear or to find out how to get your logo on your gear uh check it out at thehockeyshop.com I am going with a carry bag for the first time in about uh, 10 years I'm going back to it I've had enough of it, uh, and uh, I'm I'm pretty proud of myself uh, for that. So I can't wait to uh, to bring you guys uh, the uh, the end result of Cam helping me out, and we'll get back to Cam uh, for our gear segment with the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, and Source for Sports Surrey uh, sticks. Uh, the Bauer uh, Hyperlite and the 3X stick coming up, and there's some really intriguing facts about the, those twigs uh, that you'll be interested in, and some some different uh, strategies that they've uh, taken, but back to the goaltending and the Vesna trophy uh, nominees are out. And uh, we mentioned uh, all this star studded second round uh, collection of goaltenders. The three finalists from the regular, uh, the, the Vesna trophy uh, voting are all into the second round. And that's, I don't know how unusual it is, but it's, it's interesting that they've carried that, that performance uh, over a little bit. Oh, I thought Woody was going to jump in here and start into his, his diatribe, but it's you know not a surprise. You know what's funny is I was looking at Woody. I can't yeah. see anything. Yeah. What? It's Hutch. not a surprise. Is it? No, it's It shouldn't not. be a surprise it, it, because we know the general managers vote on the Vesna Trophy based on wins. And uh, so we're going to see the, the guys who play with teams that win a lot in the top three. Now, that said, when we broke it down at in goal, when Paul Campbell... Uh, one of our fantastic writers over at In Goal broke it down with the CSA numbers. He absolutely agreed that uh, Vasilevsky and Fleury should be in those those top two spots. I don't think any of us disagreed with that, did we? But uh, I think maybe it's that third place spot. And I've seen some fantastic debate uh, over on Twitter this week. And if uh, Philip Grubauer nailing down that third spot. Um, but that got Woody's hackles up a little bit, and Woody really believes in this data, and we'll we'll let him go in a second here. But I just would like to say that if you haven't been over to InGoal recently, I really suggest you check it out because there's that great article, Who Really Deserves the Vesna, that Paul Campbell put together. And uh, and then that also gets into um, a, a breakdown on how ClearSight Analytics works. That's a whole article on that, a guide to the data of ClearSight Analytics. And then if you get into the uh, the article that Kevin was mentioning earlier, Myth Busting with Carey Price, he, he looks at some of the data there and does a great job of breaking down what these numbers are all about, what they mean, uh, can sort of spin your head for a little while and, until you sink your teeth into the numbers a little bit. And so there's three fantastic opportunities to learn a little bit more about the advanced stats. And now I think we'll let Woody, you know, bust out of the gates here and let us know who should well, be third. I'm who should be third, Woody? Yeah. Because I'm I'm a Grubauer guy after, Especially and I now. got to watch him firsthand. I, I I 
and this is before the the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, he put forward some incredible performances head to head against Mark Andre Fleury uh, during seven. They they squared off in seven of the games, and then Grubauer won the last game two uh, one uh, to give Colorado the President's Trophy and and home ice advantage in this now second round series. So, uh, but I got to watch him firsthand, and there's there's bias there. Uh, I was really impressed. Now, Woody, uh, give me your point. You know, and it's interesting because maybe maybe we're punishing him for being on a good team. But the Colorado Avalanche, in, in addition to being an absolute wagon offensively, happened to be one of the best defensive teams in the National Hockey League this year uh, in terms of the way the shot, the shot quality environment. I mean, overall, they don't give up as much high quality chances. And that makes it easier for a goaltender. And significantly so. Like they are a top three defensive team in the National Hockey League. Some of the public metrics have them as the number one defensive team in the National Hockey League. Uh, I think Sports Logic had them number one in a lot of the key categories they measure. They weren't quite that high in a shot quality uh, measurement by ClearSight Analytics, but they were in that top echelon. And so that makes his life easier. And maybe he's punished too much. I, th- I saw a really fascinating look at this from, I think it's Giants in the Crease on Twitter. And so, I got to give him credit because he looked at it in a different respect. Now, using public data, and I think the public data is limited compared to the stuff we talk about at ClearSight because it, you know, quite often, if you're only using location, uh, that's where you really don't get as much sort of detail on on what truly is a high-quality shot. And I think the AVs to the eye test give up a lot that might in public data look high quality, but as the uh, Vegas Golden Knights are discovering in the second round, it really isn't. Um, there are other factors like traffic, pre-shot movement, um, lateral plays, broken plays, and things like that that truly dictate quality, not shot location. But using that data, he found a level of consistency in Grubauer's ability to be above expected night to night. Maybe the margin weren't as big as they were for goalies like Hellebuck, who played behind worse teams, but on a nightly basis, he was always above expected. Not always, but more often than I think all but two other goaltenders. He was top three in that category. And that's fair. And consistency, as you know, as a goaltender or as a team playing behind a goaltender or in front of, that matters. Consistency matters. So I don't want to ignore that completely. But when I look at the overall results, and yeah, Hellebuck gets there because he's playing behind a bad team. But I look at goal saved and I look at delta save percentage or or. Uh, save percentage differential by ClearSight Analytics. And goal saved overall, Hellebuck deserves to be the number three guy. In terms of that percentage and save percentage differential, he's actually right there with Grubauer and neither one of them, like Hellebuck's just ahead of them and just in the top 10. Grubauer's not in the top 10 in either category. And that's where I would pick a nit here in that to be one of the best three goaltenders in the league, you should probably be at least in the top 10 when it comes to the most accurate measurements we have for doing what a goaltender is supposed to do. Stopping pucks and preventing goals. And he's not in top 10 in either one of those. Andre Vasilevsky last year was a finalist and he wasn't in the top 30 in either one. He was 31st and 32nd in those categories because he had a bad start and Tampa was better defensively. This year, he's full value as a finalist. They aren't nearly as good defensively and he's upper echelon top of the league, second only to Flurry, and in some of these categories, Demko um, in, in the major category. So to me, it's Hellebuck should be the third guy just based on overall workload. You could argue, and Paul Campbell does, that it should be Thatcher Demko. The reality, though, is they're a non-playoff team, one of the bottom in the league, so it's hard for me to give them that vote. 
um, I would go with Hellebuck. So I, I thought you were going to say Mike Smith. That's where I thought you were going to go. Mike Smith had, again, better in both categories than Philip Grubrauer. And to me, that's, you know, and, and again, Edmonton, we talk about margin for error. Edmonton's a much better defensive team than most people give them credit for. So, um, you know, there's a lot, I guess at the end of the day, there's a lot of different ways you could have gone with this in terms of who finished third. When I add them all up, I think Hellebuck has the strongest case. And frankly, Philip Grubauer wasn't even on our radar for consideration when Paul wrote the article. And to me, that's telling. And again, I think the thing that irks me, and maybe I'm too tired and too drugged up on allergy medication to really get into a full-out rant like Hutch was hoping, but what irks me is it's so... Yeah, it's doing great. Yeah, but I haven't ripped on the GMs yet. Like, it really pisses me off because it's pretty clear how they decided this. You go to NHL.com, you click on goalie stats, and then you sort by wins. One, two, three. And I think the really sad part here is, boy, do I hope they prove me wrong. But all of these adjusted numbers, and not just ClearSight, but almost all of the models, have Marc-Andre Fleury as your Vesna Trophy winner. And sadly, I think because of the importance they place in wins, or on wins, the GMs are going to choose Andre Vasilevsky. Not that he's not fully deserving. He's the it's, he's yeah. the best goalie in the world, but he didn't yeah. have the best. There season. was a time that the award had a bit of this. a career thing to it, didn't it, Darren? Yeah, and I think there might be a sentimental yeah. uh, hope so tinge to this year's vote because not just because of what Mark Andre has done this year, but the events of last summer in the bubble, how profile high profile that yeah. was. Then coming back and doing what uh, what he accomplished this year, all the attention he got from climbing uh, up the all-time list, there just might be that little bit of pulling on your heartstring. Like it, you know how many people are absolutely blown away that it's his first time ever being a finalist? Yeah, that shocked me. Yeah, that, I don't think that blew, blew uh, people away. I, I, this might be, and people... What are the chances he's going to repeat and and go through another uh, career year? I hope he does, but uh, but there, I think there just might be a little, like you said, Hutch, uh, career achievement. Yeah, definitely. Not and then, I, then I will eat these words and I will congratulate the general managers. But again, if they're picking it for a career achievement, as much as I love the story, it's kind of like picking it for wins. How about you guys just figure out how to pick the best freaking goalie every didn't year? You, but he didn't you sort of discount Thatcher Demko there though, because he didn't have enough wins. You said they weren't. No, a playoff I discounted team? them because they weren't even. They were one of the worst teams in the entire National Hockey League, and he and I talked to a few guys about this in their voting because some of the GMs turned to their goalie coaches, and some of those goalie coaches turned to us for access to some of these stats because the teams don't all pay for them. Um, and some of the pushback I got on his name actually made sense. Like there was, he was brilliant down the stretch, but much like Vasilevsky at the start of last season, the start wasn't there. Now I would argue having seen it firsthand that it was because the team was like, you know, it was like Doug Waits, New York Islanders. Like the defense was merely a suggestion. Um, and at the end of the day, when the season was over, he was still, you know, when Vasilevsky had this low start, he climbed to 32nd by the end of the year. Demko had climbed to third in the league. So you could absolutely, and Paul Campbell does, makes that argument, Hutch. So maybe I'm being a hypocrite. I would just say you've sort of brought up something here, and I I, I don't disagree with your 
your feelings about Grubauer and, and what you're referencing there, but the argument we saw on Twitter from, and it was Giants in the Crease or the, the Twitter handles at Crease Giants. Um, I really like the fact that he at least dug into the numbers and found something to to talk about consistency. And I do think that yeah. is undervalued with teams because we we hear players talk all the time about how crucial it is to know what you have behind you and how it changes how they play the game if if they're not sure what they're getting one night to the next. And with Philip Grubauer, you absolutely got that. And it was everything they needed to deliver the wins uh, that they got this year. So uh, kudos to him for at least looking at a model there. I, I really like when people look at things, uh, you know, from a, from a bit of a different angle, and that's almost putting a number on the eye test in a sense. Um, you know, yeah. so so I like that. Uh, just a point of clarification: Vancouver season is over. Uh, or are they playing? Yes. Like, what, didn't they play Cal- oh, Calgary oh, yes. last night, or is that over? I I, I just just wanted to make sure that uh, that we're all on the same page on that that the that the regular season uh, for Calgary and Vancouver is is complete. Uh, the other one is, uh, and and you guys are north of the border. I'm south. I think that there is a bit of uh, opinion floating around that the Canadian division was so wide open that you couldn't possibly have a Vesna Trophy finalist uh, out of the the Canadian division. I mean, uh, Austin Matthews and uh, Mitch Marner and uh, Drysaddle and 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 what Connor did. Like, there's just so much scoring up there. That this year that they hardly played defense and uh, the goals were were through the roof and and how do you have how do you have a Vezina trophy? I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's it, that is necessarily accurate, but I can absolutely confirm that that opinion uh, was floated around. And that's where it bugs me if they're not using numbers that would help you filter that. And that's mm. probably why Demko and Hellebuck rise to the level they do is because they face such a high quality of shot. And the reality is it's 2021 and we can measure those things. So stop using raw save percentage. Start looking or don't use it as an end-all be-all, maybe as a baseline, but start looking at these numbers. You should Uh, put on a seminar. Well, and you know what the other thing is? Do what, like, why are we, we're blessed to have access and, and Steve lets us share the access for articles like this to ClearSight Analytics. You have all the public analytics. Those are all widely published and people do a great job of putting that online. Why are, why are we seeing it? Why are we looking at it? Why is Giants in the Crease doing such a great job on Twitter to find something else that digs in a layer deeper? And yet the guys who are doing the voting don't appear to be doing any more than looking at the wins well, list. And, that's, and maybe that's not fair because maybe they do do more research and then they just default to wins. But we've got the info. It's a I think major we're splitting hairs this year. award. We're, we're splitting hairs this year. Because uh, Grubauer, yeah. I think, deserved to be in. Yeah, I think he deserved to be. Uh, it, this isn't like a dark horse coming way out of left field. Uh, I, this year, I, I give them credit. I got it, got it pretty good. Um, Mikey DiPietro, uh, what can we say about uh, last week's episode and, and the continuing uh, sort of contribution of content? Well, first of all, last week's episode kicked ass and it wasn't because I was doing the interview. It's because Mikey DiPietro was on the other end of it. And we've had a lot of good feedback on it. And if you're just coming to this one, you're skipping one. As good as Anthony Stolarz is this week, Mikey's right up there. Make sure you check it. Check them both out and make sure you check out ingolmag.com because we got Mikey twice for some drills and where I've got video of him doing these drills in the corner on his own while Demko... Uh, was on the ice at one end and and hopefully at the other. Mikey didn't have a net, 
but he did these two great little drills and then he walked us through the video of them and we shared them with our audience at Ingol uh, Premium for our Ingol Premium members. And I've gotten a ton of feedback on this, guys, from goalies of all levels about just how good these little tips are. And they're the kind of insights you don't get, frankly, anywhere else. So make sure you check them out. If you enjoy the interview, check out more from Mikey at uh, ingolmag.com on the premium membership site. Um, not often, you know, that you get NHL goalies sort of walking you through these little drills that you can then take to the rink, whether you're in junior beer league or like nine, 10 years old, like you can go and work on these drills and they will help you become a better goaltender. And you're hearing them from the voice and thoughts and keys and tips from a guy who's one step from the NHL. And believe me, he's going to be there soon. I did the one. This way, I wasn't very very good at it, but it was fun to try, to awesome. try it because I had the 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 vision in, in in my head this week, and it was it it was great. It exactly what I did was watch the video. It uh, it stuck in my head, and when I had some ice time this week, I had a couple of minutes in one end, and I did it. That and I it was clumsy and funky, but it was cool. That's awesome. I think some people think that that the content over at Ingol is just for you know NHL goaltending coaches so that they can share some drills that they can work on when they've got three, four shooters at their disposable at their disposal and end of the rink all of themselves. But here's an example that can be used by a beer leaguer like you, Darren, by a, a young goaltender, as Kevin said. And I think it's a wonderful example as well. Not one, there's, there's a couple of them. Um, you know, how you can work on your game as an individual, because this, this is Mikey D sitting in the corner all on his own when he doesn't have a net. So uh, if you're a, 12-year-old goaltender or a 42-year-old goaltender out there, and if you don't have the net, uh, what are you doing? Are you standing there just drinking Gatorade, watching the drills go down on the other end? Or are you uh, are you going to use that time to make yourself better? And and I think these little things, and, and we've got all sorts of great stuff up this week, you know, there's content there for everybody to, to learn how to be a better goaltender. And, and I love just seeing why these guys become the best because they're willing to put the work in on their own. I did a bit of the Gatorade watching the drills at the other end too. Did just just for full uh, transparency, I, I'd stand on the bench and I'd drink somebody else's Gatorade. <laughs> no, not right now, not right now, not no. right. No, I'm not right. Hey, you were on the ice. How'd that go? Um, had a whole lot of fun. Yeah, had a whole lot of fun. I was so happy for you. Yeah, it was really good to get back out there. I've dropped 25 pounds in the last few months here with a little bit of exercise, and it was much more successful than the time I went on 25 pounds ago. Actually got to get out there. Got a couple shots on goal even because we were only playing on one end of the rink. Nice. Oh, good yeah. for you. Did you score on your side? real close, but no, I didn't score. I scared the heck out of him. He didn't see me breaking down from the point there, but uh, that's good fun. Next time you won't use your backup stick. There you go. That's the problem. Of course. I wonder if what Woody's backup stick, because he hasn't been on the ice in over a year uh, in his in his men's league. Uh, just before we get to our our gear segment uh, over at the hockey shop and the hockey shop.com woody like i'm a little worried that your backup stick might be dried out i'm glad we're doing sticks this week well like first of all first of all it's it's not a backup stick it's a warm-up stick oh sorry warm-up stick let's 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 get the rip woody correct yeah, i'm the one with the backup um, stick because when i pull myself from a game i just change sticks because there's no backups <laughs> in beer league <laughs> And second of all, it can't dry out because it's composite, Darren. So it'll be just yeah. fine. 
And yes, thanks for reminding everybody they haven't, that I haven't played hockey in 14 months. But boy, am I looking forward to it because things are getting back uh, up and running up here in BC. And uh, our league actually starts up next week. Uh, we have opted out. Everybody really cares about my beer league here, but we have opted out because we're just going to wait till the till till September to get back into it till we've all got yeah. our second dose. But uh, I am looking forward to it. I have gotten a note from my team. I believe it is four months to training camp. Cuts will come early, and I've been told that I should probably start stretching now. Foam rolling. <laughs> well, that I mean that goes without saying, right? It <laughs> goes without saying. Uh, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports Surrey is our uh, gear segment. A reminder: uh, Anthony Stollers is coming up, and uh, what a great story! I remember Junior. Uh, with Anthony and then uh, watching what he's developed into and uh, some splendid performances this year and what a uh, group of goaltenders they had with that uh, with Anaheim under Dallas Aikens uh, as the head coach there in that All-American tandem so uh, we've got uh, Anthony coming up in just a little bit I believe it's his first time on uh, In Gold Radio the podcast so a uh, chance to get to know uh, Anthony a little bit but uh, the gear segment uh, right now we're talking sticks, uh, the Hyperlite and the 3X Twigs from uh, Bauer. As we join Cam over at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports, Surrey. Woody. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop's Horse for Sports. We're in Goalie Utopia with Cam Matwiv, surrounded by all the latest and greatest, and we really can say that like right now, that is like a peak phrase for the hockey shop and the hockeyshop.com. New gear from CCM. We got new gear from True behind us. We got new gear coming in uh, from Warrior. But for the past couple of weeks, we've been locking in on the new line, the Hyperlite line from Bauer. Bauer's Vapor line, now called the Hyperlite. And we've been blown away by it, frankly. We had the Hyperlite Pro pads about a month ago when the, when the customizer first launched. Uh, we brought you the Stabila Flex knee. We were just wowed by the second price point 3X line that also includes the Stabiliflex knee uh, and the balance plate under the calf, like a lot of great features. Last week, we walked you through the chest protector, Skookum there too. I can't believe I just said Skookum. Um, and today, the stick line. We're going to go with both price points in one day, the Hyperlite and the 3X, kind of your equivalent to the Hyperlite Pro Pads, and then that 3X line, your sort of top end and your second line. Cam Matwiv, tell me what has changed, what has improved in the new line of Bauer sticks. Right away in the Hyperlite, I'm looking at a pentagrip. Yes. A little bit sort of, ooh, I like that feel. Right over top, nice. So it even calls out exactly where it kind of wants you to hold it too as well, like coming across that index finger kind of wrapping around, getting that a bit more control as you're, as you're playing. It's up there now. So to me, what really stands out in this is the weight. When they call it Hyperlite, you better deliver. The drum roll, I can't play the drums. What's the weight? 25 inch stick coming in at 580 grams on our scale. Wow. Hyper light. Flex points, we've seen that be a topic of conversation, um, uh, you know, along some of the different brands in terms of, you know, is it mid-flex, is it? I think as we talk about this and, and call out the flex point in particular, I think we, we stop for a second and go look at the shaft first. And the reason being, uh, so what Bauer's done, as opposed to a lot of the other trends, is kind of leaving that what they would call like a stock length. So Bauer's chopped this shaft by quite a bit. 
you'll see on our B-Wolf footage about, we'll compare that to an ultrasonic just to see how much shorter it really is. Uh, what that does do, especially for grabbing your pucks in the boards, I'm not pulling my arm all the way up way past to be able to go and grab and pull that puck off the boards. I'm now keeping it a little bit lower so that when I got to go get it set for the shot, I'm already in a great anatomical position to get a good pop with the stick as opposed to up here. Seriously, like last week, he couldn't remember the difference between his forearm and his bicep, and now he's telling us about anatomical positions of shooting. But I like it. We've seen the shorter stick. I mean, obviously, we did the story years ago about how Kerry cuts his down. Um, we've seen guys like Freddie Anderson, a lot of guys, really good puck handlers, embrace that shorter shaft length. Now it's stock in the Hyperlite line. So to really drive that home, besides me going to school for animated and and it, that's more like it, Cam. Rounded toe. So still your regular P31 curve, which we've come accustomed to, especially with all bower sticks. That said, the rounded toe, uh, a nice feature and a great call out again for that pulling that puck off the boards and that easy puck handling. So Terry Price again, we'll, we'll reference him. Uh, having that rounded toe specifically sighted, again, a little bit of that rounded toe was easier for him to scoop that puck off that boards, especially when it kind of got dug in there. Something that's now featured, now an option, um, coming stock on both the 3X price point and the Hyperlite price point. Also ability to order custom, and we have curves returning in terms of for options. Um, do you like that pentagrip? We don't see it on the, the, ra the sort of raised edge underneath the knuckles. We don't see it on the 3X line. But what are some of the things that are the same? What are some of the things that are different? And I guess, you know, starting with different, the biggest one is going to be price. Correct. But before we do leave, again, Pentagrip, just a call out and more ergonomical way to hold your stick um, with the integration of the blocker. So rather than being flat there, having that little bit raised as you come across index finger makes it a little bit easier for that index finger to wrap all the way around. So thus Pentagrip. Well, see, this is why we come to the hockey shop. He can't actually play goal, but he knows how to teach and tell you different little tips that are going to make It's amazing what you better. can learn from me, you know, you just... It's amazing, all right. Tell me about this stick. Just like me. So, 3X. So, what's different? What's changed? Uh, what makes this stick also a great option? Uh, first of all, weight-wise. Uh, we lose that Hyperlite name, but we're still really, really, really light. Uh, this coming in at a 25 uh, is 700 grams. Uh, coming in on our scale, uh, which puts it up there with some of the other pro options that are out there still currently. Um, price point on the stick's fantastic. We're coming in at that 170 mark Canadian, uh, which really aggressively targets uh, um, the market in terms of for composite six, because I think this is a fantastic tip for the price already. It removes some of the taglines that you find on the Hyperlite. So again, that no pentagrip, um, still the shorter shaft. You still get that rounded P31 toe. So that's a nice feature there. Um, but it's just a great overall feeling composite stick. So if you're a little bit more price conscious, especially with what's been going on, or you need to pick up, you know, four or five sticks at a time, I'd check out the 3X2 as well. Still really light, still got really good feel. Um, we see that tendency, and obviously you haven't had a chance to take it out and, and get a bunch of shots in it, but we have seen that tendency before where, you know, sometimes the heavier materials can almost be a little more durable as well, even though you're paying less for it. Yeah, I shy away from saying that any stick's durable because I've seen them all break. So that said, uh, I can't wait to be pleasantly surprised. Um, couple cool things about this too. Uh, black colorway, it's a nice added call out because you don't really don't see these all black sticks from Bauer. 
Um, that said, overall feel great grip on the paddle or on the um, actual um, shaft and paddle grip point, meat point. Holy. Yeah, I think we should wrap this up before yeah. we screw it up anymore. So for Cam, I'm Kevin. This is the hook for the end of the episode. Make sure you check out the Bauer Hyperlite stick and the 3X stick from the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, Cam, at the risk of another hook across the neck, where can they get a hold of you if they have any questions about the customizer and how to customize their sticks, but then order from you? 604-589-8299. And? 1-800-567-7790. He nailed it. He nailed it, folks. Okay, playing the great, great segment. I love the idea that uh, experimenting with uh, with a shorter uh, handle, uh, shaft, whatever terminology you want to use. Uh, but uh, is can you shoot better, more torque, or what? What area does the shorter handle uh, give you the advantage when puck handling? Uh, I actually think the shooting would be a little bit harder um, in, in terms of getting okay. getting more leverage on your shot. But um, I, I know when we had uh, one of the Eli Wilson with uh, Carey Price days up in Kelowna one summer, uh, some of the kids were asking questions of Carey, and, and Kevin hosts a fantastic sort of roundtable there with with Carey and the kids. And uh, one of the questions was about the the length of his shaft. And as I recall, he was explaining that it's just a little bit easier um, as things get in tight behind the net and, and you're trying to deal with a, a puck that's in your feet as you're stopping the rims and so on. He just felt that he had a little bit more control uh, over the puck with that short shaft and in, in a different way than you would get if you sort of grip down with your blocker, although you could certainly sort of experiment with that if you wanted to. Um, I think it puts an emphasis on some of those short handles as well, those, those short dishes into the corner and stuff that I think Kerry has really taken to a new level in the last few years. Um, so emphasis on on better plays in your own end, just easier to handle the pucks in and around your feet, but you're probably not as a youngster lofting it up into the scoreboard for the, uh, you know, the Mike Smith to the far end of the 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 ice to score your first goal. But um, it's a great thing to experiment with. If you've ever had a chance, if you've ever had a chance to watch Carrie sort of just puck handle before practice or whatever, um, and we've had this whether it's at the NHL level with the Canadians hitting the ice when we're covering a practice or a game day skate, or at the sessions in Kelowna, like he just absolutely dangles in and around his feet, and you can sort of see how that pays off, like his ability to sort of control pucks really close to him and also make quick moves and sort of little drags and toe drags and pull moves in tight and in close with full control. Uh, you can sort of see why it pays off. And interestingly enough, when we first published that by Carey Price, like there are other goalies right up to the National Hockey League. That was a long time ago when we first published that. And sort of the first time we'd heard of it, there are a lot of goalies in the NHL that have since copied it, frankly, and talked about that sort of Carey Price discussion and moment as the reason they started doing so. So it's been kind of cool to... You know, like the Lundquist loop being the first ones to write about and seeing it evolve to a, you know, a part of every manufacturer's skate now. Uh, we didn't invent it, but sort of seeing it and recognizing it and have a goalie talk about it for the first time uh, definitely has created more guys using it. And now you got an entire stick line by Bauer that does the same. I, I actually saw a kid at a camp right after that article was published who had made his own Lundquist loop because they weren't available to the general public. And I said, where, where'd you learn about that? And where'd you get that? He said, well, I made it. Well, where'd you learn about it? Well, I read it in Ingle. 
So it was, and that was pretty cool. And that kid went on to play NCAA. So, and then he was quite young at the time. It's, it's fun to see these guys growing up with it. Shout out to Cam Gray. Uh, Cam, you're a trend, trendsetter. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, the other part uh, of going with a shorter handle is it really accentuates the need to be a great skater. Because when you're getting the puck behind that, you don't have that extra reach. Some guys need that extra reach to, to get there and stop the puck. And uh, when you're a great skater, that's, it all comes back to skating. Everything that we talk about seems to come back to skating uh, somehow in some way. And yet, you know what? You're so right. And it kind of explains a lot of the reasons I suck. So like, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of enlightening and depressing all at the same time. I got suckered in there. I thought there was a great, beautiful... Uh, antidote coming <laughs> and it was uh, that was uh, that was beautiful uh love it uh just um uh, on the subject of uh well you were listening to cam there uh you you, you kind of faded off didn't you <laughs> yeah you know like and not just because listen i can fade off while cam was talking because i did the interview but you guys got me thinking and you know frankly credit to giants in the crease on twitter for getting me thinking about consistency and the important consistency and he had used a public public number i think it was natural stat trick the one that he had tracked and so i as we were listening to cam i started sorting some of the numbers at clearside analytics because you know let's let's take a look at these maybe we are just looking at the surface ones we can dig so much deeper and you know one of the easy ways to me to track consistency is you know the opposite way looking at the opposite do you give up bad goals do you mm. give up low percentage goals? And we've heard the numbers from Steve Valaket and the guys at Clearside Analytics. If if your goalie gives up a low percentage goal, you lose the game 87% of the time unless the guy at the other end reciprocates and gives up a bad one of his own. And, you know, you know frankly, you can look no further than game seven of Leafs uh, against Montreal, right? Jack Campbell was really good in that series. Behind a really good defensive team, and, but he was good. With the chances he faced, he was good. One bad goal in game seven, and that's all it takes, right? So I started to look it up. And you know what? I'll be darned. And maybe this is another argument for Philip Grubar, and maybe I will change my mind here on who should be the guy. Did you just say, I'll be darned? <laughs> I'll be darned. I did. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm turning into my parents. <laughs> Okay, continue on. <laughs> you guys suck. By the way, so I looked it up. So I sorted for low percentage goals. So guess what? Guess who? Well, actually, and another case in point, checkmark next to Marc-Andre Fleury for why he should win the award. Uh, he is seventh in the National Hockey League in terms of giving up low percentage goals or not giving up, like doing a good yeah. job against them. Only gave up six on over 500 chances. Philip Grubauer was a little more, so 550 chances. He only gave up seven, ranked 18th or tied for 18th in the league. Connor Hellebuck, who I argued should have been a Vesna Trophy finalist just a minute ago. I might have to change my mind. I don't completely because, again, he's so yeah. much better against the other types of chances that it outweighs this on the whole. But, Again, like consistency, bad goals. He gave up 20 low percentage goals this year. Now over 700 chances, but overall he was net zero. Like he just was right where you would expect a goalie to be and expected or meeting expectations is not how we decide Vezina trophies. He was 51st in the league. And this one surprised me. Andre Vasilevsky 
And again, if I was looking at tiebreakers with him and Flurry, I'd have to consider this. He gave up 18 on 645 chances, negative 0.1% in terms of save percentage differential. In other words, he was worse than expected, and he ranked 56th in the wow. National Hockey League. So, you know, again, credit to Giants in the crease for forcing me to think about things a little bit differently. Uh, there's just another layer we can dig into in terms of how we look at consistency, good goals, bad goals, and things like that. Uh, and and another check in the box for Philip Grubauer. So maybe change my mind a little bit. But again, just I think an example of how with a little more time, we can dig into this. And I think that uh, given the importance of the award, yeah, I, I think it's fair to expect that NHL general managers do some of this work as well before they vote. And that's why it gets maddening when on the surface, it looks like it's wins, wins, wins. I just, you don't want to overcomplicate it though, do you? Yeah, but yes and no. And I hear that argument and people are probably asleep listening to me talk about advanced numbers already. But the reality is there is no way, no way for one person to watch every moment of every game of all these goalies. And goaltending is so different. It does not exist in a vacuum. It is so different from team to team, the job you are asked to do based on how teams defend and the quality of shots they give up. You have to be able to weight that. Otherwise, you are comparing apples to oranges constantly. You have to be able to normalize the environment somewhat, or it's just not a fair comparison. Like, even if you're getting paid to watch the league, you can't have watched every game and every moment. For Andre Vasilevsky, Mark Andre Fleury, Philip Grubauer, Connor Hellebuck. That's where stats can help you weigh and measure those things. And maybe it's on us in the media to share more of them publicly and, and have this conversation at ingolmag.com so that others can read it and digest it for themselves and make better educated decisions if they don't have access to it to it directly. So uh, not so much shame on us, but maybe I think in the future we'll try and dig in a little deeper before we write these articles in terms of, you know, let's let's look at some of the other ways of measuring these same statistics and some of the other filters and layers we can get into. I think one of the great challenges of it all is that that you're dealing with so many different models. I mean, people can can look yeah. at a save percentage and more or less know what it is. And I know the data track there isn't always the same either. Um, but, but everybody's got a different model for looking at the environment. And so we're not all always talking about the same thing. And, uh, and that becomes a real challenge and some are available for everybody to see some, you have to come through us. Um, it, it, I think it's great that we've moved beyond save percentages as some great metric because, because it, mm -hmm. it drives me batty when people use save percentage, that's a team stat. If you ask me, um, goals against you mean both. Save percentages as well, yes. because if, if if you create a really easy environment for a goaltender, he's going to have a higher save percentage. Um, I can't stand either, really. But uh, but so it's great that we've moved beyond it. And, and I love the dialogue around all of these things. And I love that tonight we had a bit of a dialogue that that brought more um, to some of these nuances. Um, if you can change Woody's mind, you think you've gone a long way. And, and I think over the next few years, we're going to see this evolve more and more. And maybe, maybe some of the, you know, the tracking data that the NHL will have will make this a little bit clearer in, in the future. But um, yeah, love this as a topic, but, but lots to talk about, isn't there? 
well, goals against average and save percentage can't be used anymore. And now Woody's changing his mind. I don't know what to believe. <laughs> like, I'm just totally lost right now uh, with this Do- whole scenario. Dogs and cats getting along. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah it's- Difference between pears and bananas. I, it's, <laughs> it's wicked. Uh, our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina is Anthony Stollers from the Anaheim Ducks and uh, Team USA right now. And the uh, beat goes on over at Sensorina VR. It sure does. We're still in the middle of their great goaltending skills competition over on Sense Arena, your chance to get in there, go head-to-head on the same set of drills with goaltenders from all around the world that are using the Sense Arena system. They're ranking them every week. Uh, it's it's a live ranking. I mean, you do your you do your drill over in the living room in that nice safe space that's bigger than Woody's uh, office there, and <laughs> you can come back and onto your onto your website, and you can check out uh, exactly where you rank amongst all these other goaltenders and, and guys, like it's not only a really cool opportunity to see how you rank and, uh, and there's some young goaltenders putting up some massive numbers over there. Uh, but, but there's a chance to win a thousand bucks as well. And, uh, those are, those are real, real dollars you can use towards your training. And, uh, and they're going to take all these scores. They're going to, they're number crunching them. And then the top 16, I think it is, are going to face off in the final week of the competition. I love the innovation of the training tool. We just see more and more and more goaltenders using it. Uh, it's a time of year, which is absolutely fantastic. I know a lot of us are, are lucky to be heading back towards the rinks uh, shortly here if we're not already there, but it is the time of year that you're sharpening those basics, you're sharpening those skills so that you're ready for those tryout camps that are just around the corner. And I think Sense Arena is a fantastic tool to be using uh, to prepare yourself as a goaltender. Really, the, the whole world of off-ice training for goaltenders has shifted, and I'm really glad we uh, get to be a part of it and that Sense Arena is a part of everything we're doing here at Ingle. Vacation, cottage, where it goes with you too. That's the, the best part, even if you're not uh, around. Oh, the right Woody team, would drown, though. He'd be using it on the dock, and the next thing we know, he's ass over ah! tea kettle into the lake. Yeah. It's not waterproof. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Think about the hotel bills. They're going to be like, oh my God, like did a rock star stay here last night? No, just that dumbass in his sense arena punching, <laughs> punching stuff off. Okay, the just desk. to be clear, <laughs> Chair, chairs broken. Dude, let's just be fair to our friends over at Sense Arena. There is a way to set the system up so that you know where you're Safely. safe. There's a safe yeah. zone it creates. It lets you know if you're getting close to it. Woody just ignores all these safety things. He yeah. doesn't read directions. And so he puts himself at risk. So, you know, use it properly, guys. I thought it was fairly easy to to comprehend. In fact, it tells you like you need a bit more space, and uh, instead, yeah, yeah, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. Listen, I'm fine. listen. There are two. There are two elements here. One is it's technology and Woody, and that's a problem. Two, we're 122 episodes in. I'm pretty sure the audience has figured out by now that I am not that bright. <laughs> Okay, I've done it too. I've done it too. I punched the desk and I punched a wall in my office. I got to be honest. I was doing the review, the review of Sense Arena that we published over at Ingold. If you haven't heard already, go check it out. Great look at the yep. whole, you know, right from the top to the bottom of the system. And I didn't have time as I'm comparing one drill to the next, one little nuance in a menu to another to run back into that nice safe room across the hall. So I threw the headset on at my desk and ignored all warnings. And uh, so suddenly you make a save, forgetting that there is a desk in the middle of your ice rink. It just shows you, it goes to show you how realistic it is you know, too. It's, it's eh? immersive. Like, yeah. and, and the one thing, and the one thing I think just to point out, I think we're into the final week of I think the contest we are, yeah. in terms yes. of, yeah, getting the early entries. So 
Uh, this is the last chance for us to go head to head. So I expect you guys to post your results in the, the next 48 hours. Matthew will um, for Matthew H and you'll know how well I did. Such a cheater. <laughs> totally you're not cheating. You're trying. Cheating. I've heard Woody say that on here before. Brutal. You're not trying. Uh, the feature interview this week, Anthony Stollers, give us a bit of a heads up on what to, we're going to put here in this uh, conversation. Well, first off, apologies to Anthony for the inverse in-goal bump, uh, sustained an injury at the World Championships and hasn't been able to finish the tournament with Team USA. And that was, uh, you know, I know that he was excited about heading over there. We caught up with him before he headed over. Um, you know, first off, just thanks to the Anaheim Ducks. Um uh, Alex Gilchrist and Steve for setting this interview up with Anthony, a goaltender that I've heard a lot of good things about from coaches that had worked with him, uh, especially Dusty Schwartz in a very short stint in Edmonton. You hear Anthony talk about that, just had a lot of really good things to say. Uh, Sudarshan Maharaj, who we had on the podcast, a lot of good things to say about Anthony. And But I hadn't had a chance to meet him myself, Darren. Like We hadn't really talked before. Um, you know, hadn't really got a chance to introduce the end goal stuff. So I think a credit to him on how open and honest and forthcoming he was with somebody who, you know, was for the most part, a total stranger to him. He wasn't familiar, you know, with me or with our audience. So, and there was just a lot of great stuff in here that I really enjoyed. I felt like I learned as he shared some of these things. And I, I felt I learned a little bit of, about perseverance because uh, he's been through a lot in terms of some of the injuries he's had to overcome. And I think a lot of us, whether it's injuries or other things, can learn a lot about the from him about the attitude he's taken overcoming adversity these past couple of years to, you know, this year, after, you know, a lot of expectations early in his career to really lock himself into a spot with the Anaheim Ducks moving forward with some really great performances uh, down the stretch, especially after sitting out for the first half and basically just, you know, much like we talked about Mikey DiPietro last year being that third guy in the taxi squad and watching a lot of hockey did a really great job when he finally got a chance to get in there. Interesting. Uh, and you've got a better uh, memory for this uh, than I do. Buffalo Sabres uh, played a, a few games late in the season, uh, came up with a couple of big wins and, uh, and stepped in there in, in a difficult uh, scenario uh, coming up from the Rochester Americans, also a former London Knight like Anthony Stollers. And it's taken a couple of years for both of them to really get to that role where they, they want to do. And I, I don't know why the name's flipping my mind. Michael Hauser. Thank you. Yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, but similar backgrounds and, and both kind of uh, uh, reached uh, new heights this year. Yeah, and I think Hauser's a, they're different stories in terms of perseverance, but both great examples of yeah. perseverance. And, and Hauser just at times not opportunity and being stuck at lower levels. And in Anthony's case, a little bit of that. But I think for him, as you'll hear in this interview, like just, just an incredibly bad run with injuries. And so not only how he managed to manage those things mentally, but also he talks about some of the works he, work he does with the Performance Sports Lab in New Jersey um, and some of the work he's done off the ice, including brain training. You know, we talked about Sensorina. He's, he's doing some of the brain training using other tools and the importance of that in overcoming all these different things to get to this stage. Just some really great anecdotes and examples of, you know, um, what it takes to move past those types of setbacks. I uh, did not uh, get the Team USA experience he was uh, looking forward to, but uh, certainly knows uh, all about Uncle Sam in the crease uh, when it came to the Anaheim Ducks. It's Anthony Stollers, the feature interview 
on In Goal Radio, the podcast brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. Really happy to have on In Goal Radio, Anthony Stollers on his way to the World Championships uh, with USA Hockey. Uh, Anthony, first of all, congratulations on this. Um, at the end of a season that I imagine was trying at times, but finished very successfully, you've been a part of USA Hockey's program before at the World Junior Championships, but getting the invite to the, to the World Championships um, seven years later, like, does it could it almost mean more just because of everything you've been through in the meantime? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I know growing up uh, watching the World Juniors, uh, it was always a goal of mine to to be on that team. You obviously see would see the games and uh, on NHL Network, and you know to to be able to represent your country is an absolute honor. But uh, for me, on uh, the road I've had to to travel on these past couple of years to to get the invite to represent the U.S. again here at the World Championships. Uh, you know, I, they, as soon as they called me, I was uh, I was pretty shocked to be honest. But at the same time, uh, you know, I, I said yes immediately, and I uh, was just grateful for the opportunity. Now, do you keep tabs on, like, is there any sort of camaraderie amongst the American goaltenders? We've, we've written some stories about the 51 and 30 program. Obviously, I get a, a, a daily view on Thatcher Demko covering the Canucks in my day job here. Um, but, you know, like guys like Jake and Cal, quite, there's, there's a really nice crop coming here and guys who are establishing themselves in the league. Do you, do you guys follow each other at all? Is there any sort of informal American goalie union? Uh, I mean, uh, I think it's just a goalie union in general. I mean, I know uh, as a hockey nerd, you kind of like to keep tabs on uh, the NCAA and, uh, you know, major junior and watch guys grow because obviously you see them being these high picks and uh, you kind of just want to see, you know, kind of how they're doing. And uh, I'm a big big believer in kind of watching other goalies just in terms of being able to see if I can take anything from their game and translate it into mine. I know I did that a lot during uh, my time in Philly when I was injured and I think it kind of helped grow my game a lot. And, uh, you know, I think just kind of informally, you kind of just go out there and want, want to just keep tabs on the guys, mainly just to watch and see if there's anything that you can kind of carry over into your game. Okay. Well, I want to ask you about, I mean, you had an all American uh, trio in Anaheim this year with uh, John Gibson and, and Ryan Miller, a guy I got to know here in Vancouver really well. And two very different styles, probably two very different approaches to the position. Uh, are, is there anything you took away from watching those guys? Maybe one from each that you're like, hey, this might work or this did work in terms of the way they, they manage things? Uh, I think with Millsy, uh, definitely it was the way he read the game. It was, uh, world class and just just being able to watch him in practice and see uh some of the saves he'd be able to make and obviously uh at 40 years old he's uh you know lost his step since when he was younger but man some some of the saves that he would still be able to pull out just because he was always in the right spot uh at the right time and you, you know i was lucky enough to be able to pick his brain and uh kind of just get some advice on uh, my game going forward and he would uh you know he would chime in too and, and help me out so we had a great relationship and uh, you know, I think with Gibby, it was probably the, uh, the athleticism and his hand-high coordination, uh, you know, just some of the saves that he would make coming across the crease. And, uh, you know, you'd think that, uh, you know, there was no shot that he, he would stop it. And uh, he goes into a full split and throws the windmill up and makes a glove save or does a two-pad stack. And, uh, you know, they, they are a little different in terms of style, like you said. But, uh, 
you know, at the end of the day, you do whatever it takes to stop the puck. I'm curious, uh, those conversation with Millsy, uh, I got two parts on this one. How much did you take from him from an equipment standpoint? Because I'm not sure there's anybody who's more meticulous about sort of not just keep taking care of it, but how it functions for his game. And, you know, sometimes for young goalies, not everyone pays that a level of attention to it. So I wonder if there was any lessons there. And the other one is, Sudzi told us a couple of weeks ago that there are very few goalies left that actually try and dictate the game, you know, like old Marty Berdur style. I know you grew up watching him where they show you something, then take it away. And Ryan's one of those guys. Did you guys ever talk about that? Were there ever any little, any little things where, you know, you think you could get to the point where you're maybe baiting a shooter at this point? Uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing with Mosey was uh, shootouts. He was He would take probably... I can even take 50 shootouts after practice. Uh, he takes shootouts after warmups uh, or at the end of warmups and during games. And, um, you know, that's an area where I, I struggled a little bit with, but I was able to kind of, you know, uh, pick his brain a little bit and he was able to help me out. And I think the biggest thing was just showing the shooter one thing and then taking it away at the last second. He was so patient on his feet. Uh, he would never bite on the first move. And, uh, you know, obviously he's had a lot of success, but going back to the equipment thing, I, I mean, I'm the complete opposite. Um, you know, I don't know the uh, intricacies of uh, ankle boots and all that. So I kind of just tell them to, to make me a pad. And, uh, you know, if I like it, uh, you know, I kind of just stay in it over the years. But, um, you know, just watching him with uh, his gloves and uh, his pads, I, I think he still wears like the old V4. So. Um, you know, we were a little different there. I kind of try not to get too, uh, you know, too involved with that and just let the manufacturers deal with it. How many times did you see him change a blocker board himself? Uh, he would, yeah, he would go out. He, he was definitely always in the room experimenting or, you know, tweaking something. So, uh, you know, that's something. The only other guy I've seen do that was probably Dustin Tokarski. Uh, he would always have to make sure his pads were a certain angle and he was always, uh, you know, fluffing them up or, or uh, trying to make him straighter, bending him down. He was probably, him and Millsy are probably the two most uh, involved guys I've seen with their equipment. You got a chance to play this year, just sort of getting back to the start of the year. And, and you know, you talked about the impact and learning from Ryan and, and John. I mean, that was kind of all you got an opportunity to do for the first two months this year. Work with Sudzy in practice and watch those two guys. How tough mentally were the first two months of this season and I know you weren't alone like taxi squad was a reality for guys but how hard is that to go that long without playing games Anthony uh it's definitely difficult but uh fortunate fortunately enough for me I kind of dealt with that a few years ago in Philly uh when Carter Hart his rookie year in the American League uh it was Alex Lyon and uh Hartsey and I was kind of the odd man out looking in so um I think that kind of helped me because I, I was able to know what I needed um, what, you know, I kind of knew going in what this role entailed and, uh, you know, it was up to me to work on things on the ice, utilize that time with Sudsy, uh, you know, after practice and any reps that I got in practice, just make sure I'm making the most of it. But, um, you know, it's definitely not an easy situation to be in because at the end of the day, there's only one net and, uh, you know, when there's two other guys in front of you, you kind of know it's, it's kind of tough to get, to get your opportunity. Now, I, I read some stuff that you guys uh, had a pretty good plan in terms of sort of isolating specifics you wanted to work on and then sort of working your way through them over the course of that period. But I wanted, before we get into some of those, I wanted to ask you about how you managed the parts of those practices that really weren't about the goaltender. Because I think that's something that uh, it's a topic we talk about a lot. 
Um, it's a, something where I used to think, oh, I'd watch these practices. I know some goalies would too and be like, what are they doing? Like, the, the, like this has nothing to do with playing goal. It's ridiculous. These chances are absurd. And over the years, we've heard from other guys where they find ways to get something out of it. So how have you, and I think it applies to a lot of young goalies, might have the same question themselves when they're stuck in a practice that really has nothing to do with them and it's wide open looks and you know shot after shot. How do you find a way to manage those both mentally and also are there ways to find things you can work on within that framework? Yeah, I mean, usually those drills would come uh, after practice. Uh, the forwards and D would break off. And, um, you know, if, yeah. if you were caught on the forward side, you knew that it, it was pretty much rapid fire. They're going to do a drill where they dump it in the corner, pass out to the slot. And I think for me, going back to what uh, Sudsy and I had planned, it, it kind of was just uh, – just focusing on that one area, whether that be just hands. So one day I would kind of just sit on the goal line and work on my hand-eye coordination, make sure I was tracking the puck in the entire way. And, uh, and then the next day was making sure I beat the, uh, beat the pass on my feet every time. So I think by going in and having a game plan in terms of what I wanted to accomplish that certain day, um, you know, I think that really helped me kind of continue to want to continue to get better. And, um, you know, I try one day to, do it all. You try to beat the puck on it, beat the pass on your feet and, uh, you know, still be able to react to it and make those saves. And there's obviously going to be those odd days where, uh, you know, the, the guys are getting the best of you and you don't really have it. But I mean, in the end, you know, you're not going to have uh, 200 great practices. So I think for me, having that mentality where, okay, if there was a day that, you know, I, I wasn't doing too hot, I, I try not to get too down on myself and just made sure the next day that I, I would just go out there and uh, kind of just make sure I was dialed in. Now, some of the different things that, uh, you know, obviously he's not going to share all of them, but some of the different things that it sounded like you guys sort of focused on in in that period where you where you weren't playing, but had all this time to work. Um, you know, you mentioned hands. That seemed to be one of the things that that uh, Sudzy was was focused on. The other one being taller in your hips. Can you explain to our audience what what that means to you and how it helped you in your game? Yeah, so obviously I'm a six foot six goalie. So uh, you know, I, I when I go into a butterfly and you know you kind of sag your hips a little bit, you kind of just you go down and you're kind of leaning forward a little bit. You know, your your hips have a little break in them, and uh, it kind of makes you smaller. And at this level, especially the NHL level, uh, if you know you give those guys that extra inch or two, they're going to be able to go in there and pick the corner and. Uh, they're going to be able to beat you. So uh, with Sudsy, he kind of sh- opened my eyes to just, okay, drop down and just keep everything up. Make sure everything is, uh, you know, your hips are tall, your butt is up, and uh, you're able to react to the shot. And boy, did it, uh, it did do wonders for me this year. Where hit me in the shoulders or I was able to get my glove on him because I didn't have to, you know, go down with my, because your body's, your momentum's going down and then you got to bring your hands all the way up. And, you know, these guys are making you know, pinpoint accurate shot. So, you know, for us, to, for him to be able to show me that, I think it kind of helps grow my game this year. Any other things that you, that you focused on? Like I said, I know the hands, were there any other things that you were like, you know, things in your game where certain drills that really helped you make a stride or things you maybe hadn't even thought about before that were new to you this season or in the past two seasons? Uh, one of the things that we worked on was angle maintenance. Uh, we both felt that that was something that, um, you know, I wasn't getting those game-like reps in practice. So to be able to work on that at the end of the practice is have guys come down the wall and 
uh, have the op- option to cut across the middle or take a quick shot. Uh, just always making sure that your angle was on was on point because, like I said, at the end of the day, these guys are good players, they're good shooters, and uh, you know if if you give them any room, that they're going to be able to uh, you know they're going to be able to score. So uh, you know we did a lot of work on my footwork and just kind of uh, making sure that uh, the center of my body was always in the middle of the puck, and uh, you know I think that helped a lot as well. I want to go back a little bit and because I, I, the one thing I did notice, and obviously it jumps out because you get the apple on an OT winner, but uh, puck handling seems to be an area where there's a lot of confidence. Obviously from New Jersey, I, 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 I got to assume, and so I've learned in this industry never to assume, but I got to assume there's some Marty influence there. Is that, how'd you get into the game? Um, how'd you get introduced to it? It's usually siblings or equipment, and it sounds like for you it might have been siblings, and how much of an impact did Marty have uh, watching him growing up? Yeah, my older brother Todd was a goalie, and uh, I kind of was his biggest fan growing up. Uh, obviously, my, my family is a big sports family, and uh, he got into hockey, so once... Uh, you know, once once I saw him play, I kind of fell in love with the game, and I kind of was his biggest fan, just falling around, uh, falling around the rinks. And uh, you know, when he was done playing, uh, his equipment became my equipment. I think my first set of pads were were actually older than me. So um, you know, he uh, <laughs> he was a big influence on me. He was my uh, he was my goalie coach growing up. He was the one who kind of took me to practice and. Uh, kind of critique me, go out with me, work, uh, work on things with me. And, um, you know, he's always been my biggest supporter and uh, someone I can always rely on, whether good or bad, just to kind of, you know, ask him what his thoughts are and he'll give me an honest opinion. Does it know, does he still believe when you say older, I'm guessing if, if there's a coaching element, we're not talking a couple of years. He's a, he's a fair bit older. Yeah. He's 10 years older than me. Okay. So nice. Now, do you guys still talk to position? Like, I don't know if he still plays or anything, but does there still that passion and you guys have those conversations geek out on goaltending even to this day or? Oh, absolutely. Uh, if there's something in the game <coughs> that he sees, he's not afraid to, uh, you know, speak his mind. And I, th- I think he just likes talking shop. He's a goalie and, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he still plays men's league and he's actually the ones that helped me design my, uh, my pads for world championships this year. So uh, he's a little excited about that, but uh, you know, like I said, we've always had a great relationship and uh, you know, hockey's definitely kept us close and with me always being so far away and uh, you know, it's kind of helped us uh, stay in touch here. Oh, that's so cool. Now you you said he was your first goalie coach. As you start to get into this and get serious, uh, you mentioned sort of um, watching other guys like, where did the path and the evolution start in terms of maybe another goalie coach? Where did things get technical for you? Or was it just him and watching guys on TV? Like everybody's kind of got a different point where that level of professional coaching gets added. Where was it for you? Uh, it probably was in London with Bill Dark and, uh, and my first year Philly with uh, Jeff Reese. Um, I never had a goalie coach other than my brother. Uh, it was just something that my parents couldn't afford. So you know, I just always would have to rely on my brother and my dad who, and my, I mean, my dad, he, uh, you know, was able to watch my brother and watch me, but didn't really know the ins and outs of the position like my brother did. So I would always rely on him a little more, but uh, it really wasn't until I started going to junior and pro where, uh, you know, I, that's when I really got into the, uh, you know, the, the nitty gritty of being a goalie. And, um, you know, I think once my, my first year pro, I probably took my biggest step, my first or second year pro, I took my biggest step just in terms of development, just that confidence to, uh, you know, just get comfortable with these new, um, you know, new things that I've been introduced to. And 
you know, I think my second year was probably one of my better years pro. And I think, uh, you know, from there, I kind of learned a lot more about the game and was able to just run with it from there. Well, learning from a good one in Jeff Reese uh, in Philadelphia, for sure. What was, I mean, what kind of things, I know I'm asking you to go back here a little bit and, and the game evolved so fast, but I'm just curious, like what kind of things were new to you at that level? The reverse VH was one for sure. Um, you know, just kind of getting that, that new lingo. I think I was more of a, I was a VH guy and just being so big, uh, I would always kind of get, get uh, pucks lost in my feet. So they kind of introduced the VH and just, uh, you know, I think just being, ha- having a goalie coach and having, uh, you know, those skating lessons, I really wasn't a great skater until I turned pro, um, you know, my edge work. Uh, and now it's something that I'm working on every day in practice, just kind of going and just doing little C cuts and making sure that, you know, I'm sharp and dialed in and ready to go. Now, uh, obviously you spent a few years in Philly. And as you said before, over, had some injury things that just like some freak stuff and all like a lot that you've had to overcome to this point, Anthony. Um, what'd you learn off the ice about yourself through that? Cause there, you know, some of the, especially I think 17, 18, I was pretty much the entire season. Uh, the hip surgery, the knee. I know there was a, a scary skate cut in the OHL. Was there a point where like you just threw your hands up like really seriously again? Like it just feels like a really string of bad luck there. And how did you manage to like, do you come out of that stronger for having gone through it? Uh, absolutely. You, uh, you definitely come out stronger, but there, uh, there definitely was a point with the second knee surgery. You know, I was just in my truck and had my uh my knee just sitting on the uh, on the door just kind of leaning there and I brought it in and I felt the pop and immediately knew what it was so uh I obviously was scared and you know it's obviously a serious uh it's a serious injury and when you know you re-heard it uh in a in a minor car incident and you know eight months after you know you're kind of thinking well what's going to happen when I finally get back on the ice so there was that little bit of doubt but I uh you know I had a great support system and uh, you know, I just love the game so much that, uh, you know, I was no matter how many injuries I get, I'm going to continue to battle, battle through them and, uh, you know, continue to work. Cause like I said, I love this game. It's, it's all I really ever known how to do. And, uh, you know, want to play as long as I can. And, you know, if you were to tell me, uh, you know, after that second knee surgery that I'm in the position I am right now about to go to, uh, to Latvia to uh, represent the U.S., uh, you know, I, I, I kind of call BS on that. You know, you, you don't think it's possible, but, uh, you know, it makes all those long days of rehab that I went through and, uh, you know, all those days of agony, it makes it worth it. Well, on the mental side, is there anyone you've worked with over the years that did you need like to, to get through something like that? I know, I know the catchphrase is what doesn't kill you always makes you stronger, but it's usually pretty tough to see that in the moment, especially after you've gone through a few um, was there anybody that helped you on the sports psych side or did you just kind of figure there were a lot of just sort of internal lessons that you figured out on your own? I would just use the teams for uh, psychologists to uh, kind of just help me out if I ever had any questions. But, uh, you know, I kind of like to figure things out on my own. Uh, you know, I just feel if I can do that, it's just going to make me stronger. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's definitely been tough. I've, I've definitely had to talk to some people over the years and, uh I, they've helped me tremendously. I know in Lehigh, uh, you know, we our sports, like we would go to his house, he'd cook his dinner. It was usually three or four of us. And, uh, you know, it was like an informal thing. It was great. And, you know, we could open up to him, feel comfortable. And uh, he was there for my first year back from, 
from surgery and I would probably see him once, twice a month. So it was uh, definitely something that uh, I valued. And, um, you know, just over the years, you kind of take things from the, uh, each, each doctor that you worked with and kind of, you know, utilize it in your own game and, you know, help with uh, help with your mental approach. It sounds like it's kind of like goaltending, right? Tools in the toolbox. You take certain ones that stick with you forever and some don't work for you and you move on. And so speaking of that, I mean, it was such a short stint. You get traded out of Philadelphia uh, in 2018-19 at the deadline, part of the Camp Talbot deal. And you weren't in Edmonton for long, but I know in talking to Dustin Schwartz, you made an impression there. Just curious what uh, what the experience was like with him when we talk about new voices, like tools in the toolbox, is there anything that you took away as short as that time was from from your time in Edmonton? Yeah, I mean, I, I love sports. He was extremely personable, and uh, I mean, man, can he rip? Uh, can he rip a puck? You know, he'd always be in line, being one of the guys firing pucks at the goalies. But uh, you know, he he kind of helped me with uh, probably my my foot speed there. I, I kind of was coming back from injury. Uh, you know, I wasn't a hundred percent just in terms of it was my first year back and. Um, you know, he helped me kind of, uh, gain that confidence in myself and my body, um, you know, just to be able to, to prove myself that, Hey, you know, you can play at this level, you, you are quick enough. And, uh, we did a lot of stuff or movement around the crease and he really helped, uh, help get my body, uh, adjusted again, to being a goalie at the NHL level. And, uh, you know, like I said, I didn't play too many games, so we had a lot of time, uh, to work on, on certain stuff and, uh, his thing was just crease movement. And, um, you know, I don't think, uh, you know, it was definitely a instrumental part in my return, I guess, to, you know, working with him because he was able to kind of just give me that confidence that, you know, okay, I can play at this level at this speed. Well, the other part of that is confidence in your body. And when you've gone through as many different things as you've gone through, it sounds like, I mean, I can hear it in your answers, especially the knee, like it's got to take a while to sort of build that trust back up that, you know, it's not going to happen again that you that you can go 100% out there and not worry and i'm just curious where sport, you know i've seen some references to their work um sports performance labs in new jersey how big a part were they of that that step back to you know really trusting yourself physically to be out there and and you know able to go 100% uh yeah they've uh, kind of been the catalyst over the past 2 years for me uh for my summer training um it wasn't until i went to edmonton that I really started to work out again. Um, the uh, Oilers uh, strength staff really gave me that confidence to get back in the gym. Philadelphia had more of a conservative approach, um, but it wasn't until I got traded to the Oilers and they kind of opened my eyes that, okay, hey, listen, you can do these things. And, um, you know, obviously getting, uh, becoming a free agent in, in that summer, I kind of had to find a spot to train and I uh, found the sports performance lab and, they, uh, you know, they helped me immensely just getting the strength back in my leg, doing things that I didn't think, you know, two years ago I'd be able to do. And, um, you know, the staff was great and the technology that they have for, uh, you know, being in a youth hockey rink, it's insane. The amount of uh, force plates and machinery, the things that they had to not just help with, uh, with your physical uh, performance, but also mental and uh, as a goalie hand-eye coordination, they have this, uh, this screen and they, they just have these different games that you can play that work on hand-eye coordination and they toss some crowd noise and flashing lights and all this stuff into it that kind of helps uh, simulate a game. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll find myself there for three or four hours every day, just kind of, you know, do my workout and then 
computers on the board kind of messing around and uh i have a good group that i work out with and we kind of make a little competition out of it but uh you know sports performance lab they've been uh definitely one of the biggest uh biggest supporters of me in terms of getting me back to you know where i am and i owe them a lot of credit okay so big big board and lights and are, are we talking like vision training brain training uh, or sounds like a little bit of everything yeah it's basically i don't know the name yeah i don't know the name of the board i know they had those uh the flashing goggles and uh you kind of they'd have it going and then uh saw a, a circle would pop up on the screen and you got to touch the circle and then like a, a red X would, and you, you know, and you're just going as fast as you can. Um, there's one where there's, there's like crowd noise and it's like in a hockey rink and uh, you know, you kind of got to find the puck within the crowd. Um, what else they have? They have like brain training games. I think they call them. And you kind of have to remember where the, uh, the order of the, uh, the circles pop up and you got to guess the area. So they'll pop up one, two, three, four, and then they'll flash away. And then you got to, you have to tap the order of, um, you know, where they went and then, uh, you know, try to get the same exact spot, the exact location. And, uh, based on how close you are and how fast you do it, it'll give you a score. So, uh, the technology there is insane. Yeah. No, when I saw that you, you took up juggling too, and you were using the strobe glasses, the, 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 the ones that cut the vision in and out with that as well during the, during the, uh, break, the pause. Yeah, yeah, they had the strobe glasses, and uh, you know, we just kind of play catch and uh, like juggling was something I never really knew how to do, and uh, I I figured I'd take this quarantine, uh, this layoff over the past year to kind of uh, you know learn how to do that, and uh, I think that's helped me too, just with my hand eye coordination and uh, just being able to track the puck. How how many balls are you up to? We are we on three? We working up to four? Are we we pushing five? Uh, I'm on three comfortably now, but I think this summer uh, I want to try to get to four. Nice. So it sounds, it sounds Anthony, like at, at age 27, after having gone through a lot early in your career in terms of injuries, it sounds like you're discovering a lot of new sort of avenues to get better, like little, little things off the ice and the brain training and the, the eye hand coordination. A lot of these things new to you in the past couple of summers. And have you, it sounds like you've really embraced them. You feel like they make a real difference in your game. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I, I think the other thing is too, you kind of, uh, as you get older, you kind of get to know your body and what you need. And when I was younger, I would just train as hard as I can. And I maybe burn myself out a little too much where now I know what I need to stay in shape and what I need to, uh, you know, make myself successful on the ice and, um, just having these other, um, instruments be able to you know work on my game and uh you know it's not all about just being in the gym and lifting the most weights but uh, the mental aspect the, the hand-eye coordination for a goal and it's just playing your buddies in these brain training games it's uh you know there's a lot more to it and i think you know when you kind of um you know you kind of add those things together it's uh you know i think that's what's helping me in the end is just a, a mixture of all those different different uh tools Okay, I got one last one because I have to have a last question or our host, Darren Millard, won't know what's happening. He likes to ridicule me for taking way too long on these interviews. And I'm sorry I've taken so long on this one. But you told me that you weren't a big sort of gear guy. And I get that. But I watched you handle the puck and I saw an interview where you got to get you got you got wax on the tape. Like like you may not be worried about what's in the blocker board, but you, you take care of your twigs pretty good from the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big wax guy just because I know I play the puck so much. Um, you know, I, I don't want it to roll off and 
you know, I always feel that, uh, you know, the wax gives me a, that little, uh, little swagger, uh, aspect of it. You know, guys look at, it, I got the, I like the thing I got the sniper tape job too, tape the toe and only go halfway up the stick. So, uh, you know, my ultimate goal is to score a goal. Um, you know, if I ever get that opportunity, I know hundred percent, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. But, uh, yeah, I definitely, I load up on the wax and I usually redo it in between periods as well. Nice. Okay. See, so everybody doesn't even, even if it's not the pads and the gear, everybody's got a little gear geek in them when they're playing goal. I love it. Um, so yeah, Hey, listen, um, look forward to seeing you in person next year with the ducks. Um, been such a weird year this year. It's so odd to not having, have you guys come through town, but I look forward to getting back to that so we, I can introduce myself in person and get a chance to see that wax job on the, on, uh, on the stick. Maybe you can share some tips with how to do it properly with our young goaltenders when we see you next year. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Hey, Anthony, congratulations again on, on a great season amid tough circumstances, especially at the beginning. And just congratulations on the on the call to to represent uh, USA at uh, the World Championships. And thank you so much for taking so much time today to sort of share your story and and the story of your season with our audience. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, for doing the interview. I really appreciate it. I think the future is uh, bright for Anthony. I think there's a real opportunity to do some really cool things uh, in his career uh, in the immediate future. Absolutely. And if you got a chance to watch him play towards the end, like I said, and, and again, you know, it's funny because he wasn't in Edmonton long and that's where I, he really sort of picked back up on my radar. I mean, I knew who he was. I knew the story in terms of the draft and how he got to there. And there was a lot of sort of attention on it at the time, but it was just, all the good things I heard from Dustin Schwartz in that time he was in Edmonton, and he really believed that there was something there for him. And then when we had, you know, Sudarshan Maharaj on, Sudsy talked about going and visiting. And I can't remember if that was part of the interview or just me and Sudsy talking afterwards, but you heard Anthony talk about them having a visit, like him coming all the way out after they'd signed him in Anaheim to go meet him. And get to know him. And so the importance of that. And and he raved about him too. And the steps he's taken. And you know. I mean. Goalie coaches. Whether they end up being the guy. Who you're with. When you break through or not. Like when they have that many good things. To say about you. Even especially after you move on. From an organization. Like you, you start to. You just. You know there's something there. Right. And then when you get a chance. To talk to the goalie himself. You sort of understand. Why they think so highly of him. So I really enjoyed that. I like the way he plays the position too. A little athletic, uh, a whole bunch of foundation, but there's a, there's a little bit of uh, being able to really adapt to the situation and, and use your natural uh, abilities that the, that the good Lord gave us. Outside the box, right? And increasingly yeah. what we taught Robin Lehner in Vegas a couple of years ago when he told us like unpredictability matters more and more and more now. And so, so having that element in your game without being over-reliant on it, uh, increasingly important and a nice balance to, if you can find it. Hutch, this has been fun. You've, you've stuck with us and, uh, and I credit you for your patience today as I had all kinds of technical problems and, uh, and pops like, like Woody, Woody and I, uh, drive you uh, around the bend with, uh, with our never, issues and, uh, never, thank you again. Never. I'm chill. I'm, uh, the, I'm the chill, relaxed dad. Did you see me getting stressed today? No, no. I don't get stressed. But I didn't really see you either. Oh, well, it's true because you couldn't get on your computer, but. 
There's no stress here. I learned uh, how to be relaxed in listen. the military. Ask your brother about it. Bet you he's a relaxed guy. Yeah, good yeah. point. Listen, Hutch has seen, like you today, Darren, that was nothing. He's seen me melt down over technology. I think if I turn around here, there might still be remnants of a $500 set of headphones that I smashed yeah. in a fit of rage when I couldn't connect to something I was supposed to connect to. So I can't get upset um, when a guy texts me and just says, anybody know how to set up a home network? I could just laugh when you get those texts. Ah, uh, yeah, I I was uh, completely flummoxed uh, on that. Poor one. you. But, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you very thank much. Thank you for hanging uh, in there for, and not uh, uh, running away on us. Or, or, or pulling a Woody and destroying everything in your path. Uh, you, you know what else today, though? Just to leave you this. Um, my wife has taken up hiking, and she was uh, out for a uh, little jaunt in the desert today. Rattlesnake. Like five feet Whoa. away. Didn't 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 get her, but uh, just a little. Uh, we're not in Kansas anymore. One of those moments. Did she pull the phone out and take a picture. I asked that. She said it was so close. I didn't even do that, and she likes the pictures. Uh, and and she didn't even do that. So that's a sign. And and it was rattle. I said, "Hey, is the rattle like is what you hear on TV is the same?" She goes, uh, "Worse." Ooh, I it's terrifying. Yeah, I almost yeah. pulled. I tried to pull the camera out when I was five feet from a grizzly cub. So a friend of mine reminded me maybe. Are you crazy? No, I wasn't thinking. I wanted a good photo. And then my buddy reminded me that mama might be around. Oh, I would guess that mama is around. Probably. Uh, probably somewhere. Yeah. And by the time you notice, mama's, uh, you're not going to be able to react. She's to a little faster than me. Woody swims with sharks too. So yeah, I just, no, no, I was just going to say not on purpose, but I have gotten into those spots. A <laughs> yeah. Few times. He sends us the photos and they're actually sea turtles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's why, uh, that's why I'm really, uh, appreciative of, uh, this episode, uh, hanging out with the doc in uh, Anthony Stoller's and, uh, Cam on, uh, the gear segment, uh, from the hockey shop, the hockey shop.com source for sports Surrey. And of course you, uh, our, uh, listeners, uh, we all love you and, uh, you are along this ride, uh, with us in the wonderful world of goaltending. Thanks for listening to in Radio, the podcast. 